our sins are forgiven, the ones we've committed, and when we commit more, we can go and ask for forgiveness. But these attachments to sin, the footholds and strongholds that the devil has in our life, they may still be there, and we need to break those one by one. And the way that we do that are these practices. This daylight saving time change has got me messed up. Last night, I had this dream that I was swimming in a sea of orange soda. I know. And then I thought about it a little bit more, and I realized it was just a fantasy. Everybody, welcome to episode 153. If it's your first time listening, there's your daily dad joke dad joke dosage for the day. Um, hope that brought you some joy. And if you're a first time listener, please feel free to rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it and tell your friends and family about it. If you think they might benefit from listening, um, that would be wonderful for you to share this with them. Uh, you can find all of our content at manafoodforthought.com. Our website is uh, getting updated. It's a little bit redesigned looking when you first go to it. Uh, so go and check that out. You can also subscribe on there to our weekly blog, our weekly Psalm Reflections, and you can comment on all of the blogs and podcasts. And while you're there, you can click on the Patreon tab, the Give tab, Give button, and you can become a Patreon uh, patron, a sponsor for the podcast for as little as $1 a month, and that helps the podcast keep going. So thank you, all your patrons, all of you supporters, all of you listeners new and returning. Uh, it'd be wonderful to have you leave a review if you're a returning listener. If you haven't in a while, that will also help our podcast. But thank you for being here, and it's so great to be back with you. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. My joy, um, so our gym just finished a transformation challenge. It was an eight-week challenge, um, and I lost 1.1% body fat. So that's something. That brought me joy. But this morning at the gym, I ran a 5K. Didn't plan to run a 5K, but I did. And uh, I'm not terribly in pain or sore for a change. So I'm I'm working on the um, conditioning of that. So that's pretty good. Um, I was really proud of myself for running. Um, and uh, a really great woman that I know at our church, Paige, I was telling her a few weeks ago that I had run a, uh, another a 5K that morning. And she was like, oh, yeah, I went for a run today out in the rain. And I was like, oh, how far did you go? And she was like, oh, like 15 miles. And I was like, are you kidding me? So <laughs> working my way up. Don't think I'll ever get there. But, um, yeah, that's amazing. So, uh, but that's my joy. My junk, uh, daylight saving. Daylight saving time, I like that it's lighter later. I want it to stay this time all year. And I thought we passed that law. I really would love to see that happen. Um, it's raining a lot. It's raining right now currently as I'm recording this. And I appreciate the rain, but I I don't mind being out in pretty much any weather except for the rain. Like the rain, it just kind of, it's just a bummer when you're out. I don't mind like going out and standing in the rain and appreciating it, but like, I don't know, I just feel like it limits just my desire to drive or do anything. And, uh, and I don't like that. I like being out and about and going on adventures and things like that. So, um, so that was a little junky, especially because I misordered some large packages uh, for work. And I accidentally didn't change the address on Amazon to my, uh, work address. I sent them to my home address. And of course they got ordered today or they got delivered today, right as it started raining. So I saw them on our little doorbell camera. I ran home to get them. They're super heavy, came back in the rain, but all of it is settled now. So not much to complain about. Um, you know, God is good. And speaking of God being good, my Jesus moments, uh, so many for this past week. Um, 
just having people over for dinner. I've just really been reflecting and appreciating on the community that we have. And I think we've only been able to have that community because we've extended hospitality or we've gone out on a limb to introduce ourselves to people or invite people into our home. And I think sometimes we can go through life like feeling like, oh, why isn't this happened to me? Why don't I have that? And we can feel like good things are just going to happen to us and fall on our lap. And I think you can create those opportunities for yourself and God can use your gifts, your personality uh, to do that. So um, yeah, so we've had some great friends over for dinner. We're having our best friends, Tony and Jenna, and their kids over tonight. And so it's just really wonderful. Um, and I've had some great spiritual direction sessions this past week with others. I had my own spiritual direction formation program this past weekend that turned out to be a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So I misread the title of the class. And so I was really <laughs> not looking forward to it. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised. And a Bible study last night, we were over 40 people. We kind of got back in that threshold of 40s, working toward 50s, hopefully again, where we were for a bit before the holidays. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. God is good. So let's dive into the second reading for this upcoming Sunday. Um, this Oh, and by the way, as you're listening to this, you're probably noticing you got it earlier. And I changed, uh, decided to change our podcast and Psalm Reflection schedule so that uh, we have the Bible study on Monday nights. And I have that pretty much ready to go and recorded. And so those those Bible study episodes are going to come out on Tuesday, like at midnight. So pretty much right through the whole week, you can be listening that to that to prepare for Sunday. Wednesday, now the Psalm Reflection will come out, so you can read that and prepare for the Psalm. And then this podcast that's based on the second reading, our weekly podcast based on the second reading, that will come out on Thursdays at midnight. So you still have right in the middle of the week a bunch of uh, content and encouraging you know, ways for you to prepare and engage in what you're going to hear in, in Mass on Sunday. And so I hope that is more of benefit to you. Please feel free to, you know, give me the feedback and let me know how you like that or if you'd like to, you know, see more or different or whatever. So anyway, second reading, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. This is a letter from St. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the church in Ephesus had a huge uh, temple to the god Artemis. It was a pagan epicenter, um, and it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so you can see what Paul is up against in this community, establishing Christianity there, all the immorality, all of the temptations to idolatry. How do people live in this new Christianity and live in such a way that they are set apart? and um, turn away from sin. So that's what we're, we're talking about here. So Ephesians chapter 5, here we go. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, Brothers and sisters, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitless works of darkness. Rather, expose them. For it is shameful even to mention the things done by them in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a kind of direct parallel and support to the kind of spiritual message of the gospel, which is the healing of the man born blind by Jesus, that this man goes from literal darkness into literal light, but is also a symbolism for the fact that Jesus is coming to shed light, to say, I am the light of the world, and to preach new light and new life 
and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And those who cannot see or are too proud or stubborn to see like the Pharisees, he condemns them and he says, you are stuck in your sin because you claim to see, but you do not. And so that's echoed here in this reading, reminding the people, the church in Ephesus, these new Christians, that you were once one way, but now you are totally different because of what Jesus did in your life, because of the message of Jesus Christ and his good news, that he died for your sins. So live in that. Like, don't stay attached to those old practices. Completely reject those fruits of darkness because when you entertain them, even in your mind, that starts to become this kind of secret obsession or affiliation with them, and it's more it's easier for them to creep back in. You may have experienced this in your own life, in your own temptations, your own desire to overcome sin and feel like this is insurmountable. Like, I can't get past this. I feel like I'm going to be stuck with this my whole life. I've said that many times. And yet, in the moments when I've really put into practice some of the things that I'm, I'm sh- going to share with you in this episode, it just has become so helpful and clear to me that um, sin is like this sticky tar on your soul. And just because you go to confession doesn't mean, and, and remove the sin, it doesn't mean that there's not this residue, this, this still this spiritual attachment. And that takes longer to come off or to fade away. And the only way to do that is with like consistent prayer, community and accountability, and certain practices to help you resist temptation and the, the workings of the evil one to bring you into desolation when those, when those things come. Um, I'm reminded in this passage of um, uh, a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 4, where it says, For it is the Lord your God who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and give you victory. I think first and foremost, when we read this passage, we have to recognize, like, we are only able to live as light, only able to experience the fullness of what God wants for us because of what he's done for us, because of his power. This is not something like, I'm going to go out there and pull myself up by my bootstraps and live this faithful life, and I can do it on my own. No, like, God is the one who fights for our victory. And if we recognize that, like, our life has been completely transformed and changed, or at least has the opportunity to be because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, if our life, like, or we should ask it this way, is your life completely transformed and completely different as a result of Jesus Christ. Because it should be. It should be. The man born blind, he is healed. And what's so interesting about that in the passage, you'll hear this in the gospel, is after that encounter with Jesus, the people are not sure if it's him. It says in verse 8 of John 9, it says, His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. But he said, I am. And what's so interesting is that when we live as children of light, when we recognize God has won for us the victory, and when we live out of that place of gratitude for the radical transformation and complete difference Jesus Christ has made in our lives, we look different. To some people, we may be unrecognizable, especially depending on what characterized our old life before we knew Jesus, when we were completely steeped in sin or when we were turning away from God or we just didn't know him and we were you know, just part of secular society or falling into, you know, sinful habits, whatever it might be. And so it's important, I think, to recognize that we should be having this kind of transformative response and evidence of transformation in our lives if we are truly living in relationship with God. But when we live in that relationship with God, I think there are ways that the devil will still attack and things that we can do 
so that we will resist those temptations to fall back into darkness, that we will continue to live as children of the light and expose things to the light so they will no longer be secret. And what this reminds me of is a book I just read. Uh, it's called The Sermon of Spirits, An Ignatian Guide to Everyday Living, I think is the subtitle by uh, Father Timothy Gallagher. And uh, it's about the 14 rules of discernment. Um, from St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuits. And they're brilliant, these rules, all about consolation, desolation, what to do when you find yourself in either. And the last three rules I found incredibly insightful. I mean, the, the whole book is a masterwork. All the rules are a masterwork. But um, the, the three final rules are these kind of analogies that Ignatius uses about, um, well, I, I don't need to get into the analogies, but essentially... The, the rule 12 is about um, what these last three rules are what to do in consolation when you're in, in a good place with God to ensure that you are prevented and prepared for future desolation or you're prevented from falling into future desolation. And so rule 12 essentially says that when you experience that initial temptation, you need to reject it and say no immediately. You need to reject it and say no immediately. The analogy that Father Gallagher uses is an updated analogy from the one that, um, that St. Ignatius uses. But um, Father Gallagher uses that of like a petulant child who's just like saying like, gimme, 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 gimme. And the only way to respond to that is an immediate and concise no. And I have to say it to my children sometimes like you can respond however you want to and you can feel however you want to about this. But this is not going to happen. It's just not. No matter what you do, we're not going to do this. And that works because it's like they recognize no matter what emotional effort they put out there, like I'm not going to change my mind. And so it helps immediately um, kind of calm or um, maybe not calm, but um, diffuse the outburst usually, you know, and then I can focus on just comforting them or, you know, saying, yeah, I know I'm, I know you're sad. I'm sorry about that. You know, um, but they, they stop begging and asking over and over and over again when you get in the habit of doing that. And so St. Ignatius is arguing the devil's the same way. The devil will throw all this stuff at us when we're weakest. He wants to hit us where we're weakest. He wants us to compromise. He wants to, you know, uh, incessantly throw all this noise at us. And so Part of the Christian's responsibility is to, when we recognize temptation, to say no to it and reject it immediately. Because when we do that, St. Ignatius says, it exposes the fact that the devil is essentially weak. Because if you, like, unequivocally, irrefutably just say no immediately, what else can he do? Keep throwing the same thing at you? Oh, no again. You know, I'm just going to go on about my day. Like, just the power of being able to recognize a temptation and say, no, I'm not going to do this. And maybe it's something you fall back into habitually, like saying no might be like, you know what? I'm not even going to put myself in that environment. You know, I know I, I, I always fall into sin when I'm alone in my room. I'm just not going to be alone in my room anymore. I'm going to leave my door open for the next six months, and I'm not going to bring anything that would cause me to sin into my room. Or I'm going to sleep in the living room or on the floor or, you know, whatever. Um, or if it's, um, I always end up sinning when I'm hanging out with this group of people. I use language or do things that I'm not proud of. Um, I'm just not going to hang out with those people anymore, you know, or at least not in those settings, only at a time where they're, they're more mild, whatever it might be, you know, but saying no immediately helps prevent the temptation from becoming a reality. That's rule 12, the first one of these three rules. The second one of these three rules, rule 13 
says that the devil likes to operate in secret. And he especially likes to do that because then it infuses us with a sense of shame and guilt. I'm not lovable. If anyone saw the real me, they wouldn't, they'd reject me. Nobody understands. Nobody really gets me. And that causes us to fester in our sin instead of expose it to the light. We keep it shrouded in darkness. And so you could say the first, the first rule, you know, uh, of these three is whenever you experience a sense of darkness, make sure the light switch is thrown on immediately. This one would be the light switch when you recognize it's been off for a while or you want to keep something secret, switch it on and expose it to the light. Don't keep it secret. Share it with, I think he calls it a spiritual mentor or a spiritual companion. Someone who, uh, he uses a different word, like a, a spiritual expert or something like that. Someone who has, um, you know, who you admire and who has the spiritual experience or, man, I can't remember the phrase he uses, but I wish I'd written it down. Um, but basically someone in a position to where they're going to give you advice. that's going to be spiritually sound. It's not just, you know, you're not just sharing this with your best friend. Who's an atheist who has no idea of the spiritual implications of what you're going through and struggling with. And you're looking to them for spiritual advice. No, like go to someone who is an expert in that, or at least has more expertise than you. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't tell other people, but that's the person you're going to for, you know, real advice to help keep you accountable, to help steer you in the right direction. And then living in the light, the final rule, is about preparing for the next attack. And the analogy St. Ignatius uses is, you know, imagine you are the lord or the lady of a castle and you ride out on your horse and you're looking for weaknesses in the stronghold. Like, where am I most vulnerable to enemy attack? So when the enemy comes and tries to lay siege or break into these walls, where are the, where's the biggest vulnerability in the walls or in the, uh, the stronghold of my life? And what you then do is you prepare for the next attack by increasing the defenses in that area. So essentially, you're asking yourself, where am I weakest? This is like exposing light to areas that aren't really in darkness, but areas that are kind of shadows in the corner. So you already have the light on, but there might be kind of a shadow behind the couch and you expose a flashlight back there. You're making sure everything is brought into the light, that you can see everything, you're aware of everything, so that you are making sure that you are continuing to be able to live as a child of the light. Okay, so you're saying no immediately. You are not keeping it shrouded in secret. You're sharing it with someone. And you are preparing for the next attack, asking, where am I weakest? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11 says, Draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. We have to put on the armor first so that we're ready. It doesn't say put on the armor of God when you're under attack. It says put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm. So that when that attack comes, you already be ready to defend yourself. That's essentially what we're doing when we're asking that question, where am I weakest? Where am I weakest? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, I quote this, um, or no, this is a different section. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Whomever you forgive anything, so do I. For indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven anything, has been for you in the presence of Christ, so that we might not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not unaware of his purposes. When you are in the habit of habitually recognizing temptation and saying no to it immediately, when you're exposing these secrets to light and when you're preparing yourself against future attack, what ends up happening is that you become aware of the devil's tactics and you begin to recognize his patterns of attack. And that 
essentially makes him weak. It's about learning your your enemy's playbook or learning their entire arsenal and recognizing they only have one weapon that they use over and over and over again. And that essentially makes you not invulnerable, but impervious in some senses to that particular attack. And there may be attacks that come that are unforeseen, but these practices can help prevent those attacks from being worse, from you responding with more anxiety or worry, or from you falling into a habitual or you know cyclical spiral of sin. Lastly, in Romans 16, starting in verse 19, Paul writes to the church in Rome, For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I want you to be wise as to what is good and simple as to what is evil. Then the God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you catch that phrase? The God of peace will quickly crush Satan. Those seem like they're in juxtaposition, like the God of peace is the one crushing Satan. God does these things peacefully. This doesn't have to be this big, dramatic, violent, or, you know, crazy, wild uh, wrestling with sin. Like when we do these things and we have resolved to say no immediately, expose sins when we do fall to the light, these secrets that the devil's whispering in our ear, the things that we've kept hidden, when we expose them to the light and we get accountability and we, pre- and we prepare for and prevent future sin, temptation, and desolation, we have an incredible arsenal at our disposal. And when these temptations come, it's not this violent battle. It's really just a peaceful crushing. It's just like, nice try, Satan, but not today. Like, it's just not going to happen. You know, he is essentially weak. Our participation is required, but it's God who crushes him under our feet. We need to be the ones who are lifting our feet and marching in step following the Lord. But it's God who does the crushing. And he does it not in this big, violent, extravagant St. Paul, always have to get thrown off our donkey onto the road of Damascus or whatever the image is. It doesn't always have to be like that. It doesn't ever have to be like that. If we resolve to learn the tactics of the enemy so that we can protect ourselves from them. And when we do that, we will no longer be living in darkness. We will no longer retain these attachments to our former ways of darkness. But we will now be light in the Lord, living as children of light. And that light, as Paul says to Ephesians, produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. So we need to take no part in the fruitless works of darkness, but expose them. Expose them because everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that's visible is light. God is present in it. And that is what characterizes the final hymn or verses of this passage where it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. None of these attachments to sin, temptation, darkness, immorality, none of them lead to life. They all destroy us either in a slow burn or immediately. And the only thing that gives us life is the light of Christ in us because of what he did on the cross, because he redeemed us and forgives us of our sins. And if we receive that and accept it, it doesn't mean the temptation is going away. It means that our sins are forgiven, the ones we've committed, and when we commit more, we can go and ask for forgiveness. But these attachments to sin, the footholds and strongholds that the devil has in our life, they may still be there, and we need to break those one by one. And the way that we do that are these practices, saying no to temptation immediately, exposing things that are secret to the light, and preparing and preventing future desolation by asking, where am I weakest to attack? Especially in those moments when everything is good. When everything is good in your life spiritually, 
take that as an opportunity to humble yourself, to recognize this is only because of the grace of God. That is actually Ignatius's part of Ignatius's 11th rule, the rule right before these three. But also ask, where might I be vulnerable to future attack so that I will not fall into future desolation again, but I can stay in this place of consolation with the Lord? And when we do that, brothers and sisters, I believe we will live longer and more fully as those children of light in deep, profound, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another. For the glory of God, not for our own glory, and to build the kingdom on earth so that other people will know this beautiful light that shines in and through our lives. That's all I have for you this week, brothers and sisters. God bless you as you put these things into practice. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.